Wake up, people, because there's some funny things happening in Mercy, Saskatchewan. Assalamu alaikum and hello everyone. It's DL McDonald here and welcome back to another episode of A Plus Podcast. And today we'll be talking about Zarka Nawaz's sixth season hit show, Little Moscow on the Prairie. The show ran from 2007 to 2012 on the CBC. During its run, the show managed to win awards from the Geminis, the DGC, and a Canadian Comedy Award. So, I'll get into the history of the show and how it came to be just a little later, but for now, let's look at the first episode, along with the cast of characters. When the show began, it focused more on Carlo Rota's character, Yasser Hamoudi. I describe him as a community leader, since it's only through his determination that there is even a little mosque in this small prairie town. Even though it's the basement of a church, and it's only acquired by means of renting space for his contracting office. Zabe Sheikh, God, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, who is actually now the Consul General to Canada in Los Angeles, played Amar Rashad, the new imam that Mercy was waiting for. But instead of a bearded conservative man of Islamic traditions from the Holy Land, it's a baby-faced liberal hotshot lawyer from Toronto. Yasser's wife, Sarah Hamoudi, is played by Sheila McCarthy. Sarah is a convert to Islam, and does her best to uphold Muslim customs. When she's not helping with the mosque, she's at the mayor's office, making sure the mayor stays on track. Sitara Hewitt plays Rayon, the daughter of Yasser and Sarah. She's a very independent and strong force in the show, a medical professional, as well as an Islamic feminist. We also have Manuj Sood, who plays the very conservative Muslim Babur. He's the acting imam before the arrival of Amar, He's almost too conservative for the taste of the community, who can only bear so much of his ranting and ravings about the Western culture, and how it's bad, and is trying to seduce the Muslims. There's still a few more ancillary characters, but I'll speak more of them as we quickly break down episode one for you. The show begins with the first service to be held at Mercy Anglican. May have the point. Dad, Bobber never has a point. My point is this, wine gums, rye bread, licorice, western traps designed to seduce Muslims to drink alcohol. His sermons are going to drive me to drink alcohol. Patience, daughter. Even this is last sermon. The new mom will be on his way very soon. While Babber dishes on western evils, Joe Peterson, local farmer, stumbles upon the service when looking for Yasser's contracting office. He's unjustly scared and makes a phone call. Yeah, is this terrorist attack hotline? You want me to hold? Next, while waiting at the airport for his flight to Mercy, Amar gets detained because of a loud conversation he's having on his phone. No, don't put that on. I've been planning this for months. It's not like I dropped a bomb on him. No, if Dad thinks it's suicide, so be it. This is Allah's plan for me. Oh my. I'm not throwing my life away. I'm moving to the prairies. We now meet Reverend McGee, played by Derek McGrath, who assures Joe there's nothing fanatical going on in the basement of the church. 
I saw them bowing and moaning just like on CNN. They're Muslims. They pray five times a day. You rented the parish hall to a bunch of fanatics? Don't be paranoid. Many churches rent space to businesses. This is simply a pilot project. Pilot? They're training pilots. Calm down, Joe. There's nothing sinister about Yasser's construction company. As well as Arlene Duncan, who plays a diner owner named Fatima, as she and Sarah argue with how to break the Ramadan fast. Goat is traditional. A goat is a bearded garburator, just like your husband. Amar explains to detainers why he used to live in Afghanistan for a bit, and how he discovered his calling in Egypt, leading him to quit his father's law firm. Look, I am going to the town of Mercy to work as an imam. You know, like a priest. Hold on, I can prove it. I have the ad that I answered for the job. You can call the mosque if you like. If the story doesn't check out, you can deport me to Syria. Hey, you do not get to choose which country we deport you to. That... Could you just call? All right, Mr. Rashid. I am going to give you the benefit of the doubt. If this checks out, you are one tiny step closer to getting out of here. Yasser's construction and contracting at our new location. We'll blow away the competition. We're now with Joe, who's chatting with Fred Tupper, right-wing talk radio host, played by Neil Crone. Now, now Joe, uh, Reverend McGee claims that he rented the church hall to a construction company. So he claims. <laughs> but uh, you know otherwise, huh? I'm no expert, Fred, but when you walk into a room and you see a moolah with a beard talking about blowing up Canadian Idol, you gotta figure he's not a roofer. I mean, I mean what's wrong with Canadian Idol? Well, it's not Canadian Idol, they hate you. No, 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 it's freedom. Dance, <laughs> Canadian Idol. His show was heard all over the town of Mercy, even in Deborah McGrath's office, the mayor of Mercy, Anne Popowitz. Now, apparently, Muslim kingpin Yazir Hamoudi's wife, Sarah, does PR work for the mayor. I mean, their tentacles are everywhere. So wake up, people. Sarah, you're supposed to spin the news, not be the news. This has got Yasser written all over it. He's up to something. Back at the Hamoudi's house, Rayan walks in on her parents, arguing about how the mosque was acquired under false pretenses. Hi, sweetie. Hi. Hello, beautiful. Honey. I'm a contractor. Contractors don't lie. I don't understand why you didn't just tell them about the mosque. Yeah. Yes, this is a good one. Reverend, I would like to run a mosque out of your parish hall. Would you like to tell Jesus or shall I? But the argument can't last long since there's someone he's got to meet. What's the new imam going to think of all this? Well, the new imam I was supposed to pick him up at the mosque. Oh, hey, Dad. Did you call a hundred imams before you found this guy? You're both going to love him. Honest, upright, ex-lawyer. Unfortunately, the press meets Amar ahead of Yasser, and now the news is spreading, leading to Amar taking his chances with Fred. Trust me, I can handle this. <laughs> Are you a terrorist? No, I'm... You object to the term? Of course I do. Oh, you prefer uh, Mujahideen? Yes, no! I mean, look, Fred, I came here to clear the air. You're not letting me get a word in. Oh, please, feel free to give as good as you get. <laughs> That's the privilege of living in a country with freedom. Freedom? To do what? Fan the flames of hatred? Oh, isn't it Muslim preachers like yourself who do that, huh? 
I got news for you, Johnny Jihad. That's... Folks around here will not sit back and let that happen. You can bet your falafel on that. After a bad public turn on the radio, Amar needs to be talked out of leaving by Rayon. Can a Muslim book a one-way flight these days without someone having to call their supervisor? Oh, you poor thing. Racial profiling. Making it very difficult for you to run away. What am I supposed to do? I don't know. Wait, let me ask the Imam. Oh, wait! He's running away! Look, I screwed up, okay? No, it is not okay. You were supposed to... Well, you were the guy I dreamed about. Rayon, that's not really appropriate. Get over yourself. I dreamed about you for our mosque. You know, a progressive imam born here in Canada? Well, I thought you'd drag us into the modern world. Or at least the 11th century. Yeah, so did I. That's why I gave up being a lawyer. Oh, I figured you just sucked at that too. Lamar steps up and makes his first decision as a mom. When and how to decide that Ramadan will begin. Unfortunately, Yasser sends a mom down to confront Reverend McGee. Reverend McGee, I heard you on the radio the other day. You sure sounded like a horse's ass. Thank you. Oh, I've been trying to give this to Yasser. I know Yasser misrepresented the community, but no, please, wait, let me finish. I was hoping you'd let us stay. Because religious and racial hatred will destroy the world if men of spirituality, men like ourselves... Amar, with all due respect. Shut up! I'm not evicting you. This is a new lease that reflects the true nature of your multi-purpose uh, activities. But if you plan to open up a bowling alley, give me a heads up. Thanks, but why? When the Fred Tupper Show tells me to do something, I tend to do the opposite. There was never an issue with your congregation? Come to my Sunday sermon this week. I'm lucky if I can fill the first two rows. May have been God who said, let there be light. But it's me that pays the electric bill. With the mosque safe at its new location in Mercy Anglican, Ramadan continues on. When the fast breaks, the community celebrates, and Yasser does his best to continue being honest. Well, Yasser, mm. I hope you've learned that honesty is the best policy. Oh, oh. Mm. That brings me to your salary. I'm willing to be flexible. Good, because we don't have much money. How much money? We're broke. I'm not that flexible. Well, if you must leave, I'm sure they will understand. But it seems to me you've become attached to our little community. Why didn't you tell me before I left Toronto that you didn't have any money? I'm being honest now. Yasser. You have to learn the difference between honesty and emotional blackmail. And who better to teach me than you, brother Amar? Who better? So, now you're all set to watch the remaining episodes, which have all been uploaded to YouTube. I should also point out that a later addition to the show's cast is Brandon Furla, who plays McGee's replacement Reverend Thorne. Okay. Before you hop onto YouTube to see the show, let's hit up the delightful creator of the show. Here's me chatting with Zarka Nawaz. Well, it's good to finally meet you. You as well. I'd love to just learn a little bit more about you because you started uh, being a journalist in 92. And then yeah. you, you shot your first short film in 95. Yeah. What, was, what made you transition to shooting your own films? 
I was working, I had gotten an internship with Peter Zosky's show Morningside on CBC Radio. I don't know if you've heard of that show. And it was kind of like the Gian Gomeshi, you know, he was the Gian Gomeshi of his time without any of the weird sexual assault stuff. Right. Okay. And so it was like, he had the highest rated radio show. And so it was like this great opportunity to get that internship. And while I was doing it, I kind of felt the sense that um, the sort of the, was this creative energy inside of me that I wasn't able to exploit being a journalist because I was telling other people's stories and I want to tell my own stories which yeah. meant having to go into fictional storytelling so I really didn't belong in journalism I belonged I probably should have in retrospect taken film courses and then I was like, oh man, I don't want to now go back and do a film degree because I have a science degree, I have a journalism degree. I was like, oh, I can't do another film, another degree. And so a friend said, take a summer film workshop at the Ontario College of Art. It's just three weeks. You make a five minute short film and then you'll find out if you have the skills to be a storyteller. And so I did. I took that course yeah. and I barbecue Muslims <laughs> and got into the Toronto International Film Festival. And from there, uh, I realized, yeah, I can do this. I can make comedies. And I, it was obvious that I sort of had this affinity to comedies about, you know, with a political affiliation, like what was going on in the world, um, particularly when it came to the Muslim community. So I combined those two skills and then I continued. Yeah, I was reading, I haven't had a chance to see the short films, but they all sound very comical, especially Death Threat is a very yeah. interesting, uh, little synopsis a little scenario <laughs> yeah they're all on my website hopefully <laughs> all right i'll double check and then you did your documentary me in the mosque or the mosque and me and you were looking at the way it treats women in the uh, vicinity of a religious structure uh how did you go about because I know your brother had some words where he was saying you probably shouldn't be showing Muslims in this comedic light not being Muslims. Uh, were you at all worried about that when the National Film Board picked it up? Well, I mean, I talked to my community about it. And I know a lot of people were unhappy because they felt like, oh, you know, people already think bad things about us and you're just going to wash our dirty laundry. But what I was saying is I, I think what people want is like honesty. Like, what are the issues that we face? Because these are not just Muslim issues, these are universal issues, but that they get attached to our community as if our community is the only one that struggles with them. But at the same time, you know, people don't want to hear that we're perfect and we don't make mistakes and every, you know, everyone's just assigning these things to us. I think I decided that if we were honest and say, look, these things happen and we're dealing with them and they're not coming from the faith, they're coming from patriarchy and culture and tradition that get mixed up, you know, with faith, then people would be willing to have a dialogue with us because they're saying, well, they're meeting us halfway. And those were back in the days when, you know, people would only criticize Muslims for patriarchy and we're not willing to, this was before Me Too and the movements that were happening here in North America where people are finally acknowledging, wow, sexual abuse does happen in our culture because there was this sense of, oh, our culture is perfect. You know, we have arrived. It's those other people, the other people who are so, um, you know, not less evolved than us. But I think those conversations have long gone now because I think people are realizing there are a lot of issues when it comes to sexual abuse and sexual harassment for women living here in the West. But those were the days when, you know, white people weren't willing to acknowledge the problems of their culture and society. Yeah. Yeah, there were some interesting 
notions, stuff I, I never realized, like the, uh, the barrier and stuff. And then that new mosque being built that you showed where they were starting to stick the women up high in like a, almost in the rafters with a barrier when you're praying, you can't even see over it to know what's happening with the, uh, with like the sermon. Is that what, is it still a sermon? <laughs> yeah, we call it a chutzpah, but yeah, it's a sermon. Right, sorry. <laughs> um, so from there, how did you transition into bringing that story into creating your sitcom? So I was pitching, um, I went to the Banff Television Festival and we were pitching projects there. And someone said, you know, you should go and pitch a television show. Because it was actually to pitch the, 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 the National Film Board of um, Canada has sent us there to talk about our documentaries. And I thought, wow, I've never pitched a television show before. And you know, the whole idea of an imam growing up in Canada in, in a mosque dealing with women and young people and you know, first generation, second generation, and the immigrant community. How would that all work? You know, what would the relationships between the people be like? So I came up with that scenario, and I went there and I started pitching it, and that's where I started getting a lot of attention from people. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that it was also said in the prairies. I almost wondered, like, if for one part of the viewership, is it about a mosque in the prairies, as is the title, or is it about the imam who's not from overseas and has, has been grown up in Canada and is coming in with his own ideals. Was there it was a... I was about both because I grew up in Toronto and I was very Toronto-centric. And people who grew up in Toronto are like, they're like, we're like Americans, right? We believe the whole universe revolves around us and we're not even aware of the rest of the country. And I was very arrogant when I came from Toronto to Saskatchewan. Like I would say stupid things like, oh, is that like one or two provinces over? And my husband would like be like, oh my God, you people, like you people are so full of yourselves. And I was like, ugh, you know? And I had no idea that we were like that. <laughs> and so that's the idea of a really arrogant city slicker from Toronto who comes to Saskatchewan and thinks he's a know-it-all and he's gonna smarten up these people in this little backwater, you know, province, backwater mosque, you know? And that sort of horrible attitude that like, people have when they come from the east to Saskatchewan so I wanted to explore that idea and then explore the dynamics of what happens when he gets you know he gets schooled by this community and he realizes like he's in over his head because he thought he was better than everyone else. So is Amar like your sort of avatar of yourself in that? In, in the, many ways for sure. Yeah. I was one I was sitting there watching it and I was wondering are you supposed to be like Rayon or because I know creators try to fit themselves. Yeah, I think a little bit of me and everyone. I think, you know, Ryan, I lived through vicariously because she got to go to medical school. <laughs> she got through medical school and became a doctor, which is, had always been my father's dream for me. So. <laughs> now, I was looking at the writer, the writers of like your show, and it seemed like there was probably no one else that was Muslim apart from you and maybe Faisal, who was your consulting producer right and yeah we didn't like, I mean those were the days when like we didn't even have television shows in Canada very few television shows existed and the whole idea of a sitcom industry in Canada was like everyone just said we just can't make them in Canada and no one would say why but it was just impossible for them to get success possibly because the American you know the American networks just always 
flooded our airwaves and they had millions and millions of ad dollars and all the eyeballs always went to their shows and it was hard for Canadian shows to even be noticed or be discovered until you know Corner Gas from CTV and Little Mosque from CBC came and so we didn't have a whole plethora of sitcom writers experienced sitcom writers like you do in the United States we just didn't because they weren't sitcoms to train us and so mostly they came from the stand-up world which was white and male and you know very male white dominated and so that was a problem for us because we didn't have Muslim writers and where were we going to get them from so we had to sort of build that slowly and I so I was the only Muslim for the first while sort of teaching the other male white writers you know about my culture and my life and then we got Sadia Durrani who was a stand-up from Winnipeg she became the next writer but was Muslim and so that was very slow. And now you're seeing far more Muslim writers in the world of sitcoms than we ever had before, because now there's more opportunities than we ever had before in our country. Was that a struggle at first to make sure that the Muslim voice was still heard? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, it, I was lucky because it was a show about Muslims in a mosque, so they weren't going to be able to write it without me, because what did they know, right? They were probably like you. They'd never heard of a mosque or been in a mosque or knew anything about the mosque. So they were like, oh, and so they were very much dependent on me for story ideas, for, for, for what direction the show was going to go in, what was happening, because they had no clue. And so that was good for me, because I had come in with very little television writing experience. Um, mind you, they also didn't have a lot of, you know, television writing experience. The most they had was maybe from CTV's The Corner Gas. We got a few writers from there. Mm -hmm. You guys started at the same time, basically, right? I believe they started one year earlier than us. So they had that right. experience before us. So yeah, so for all of us, it was very new to write a television show. And I heard, I forget where I read it. I should really cite my sources. Uh, the first season, it was all shot before any publicity went out, right? So it was sort of created in a bubble. Did yeah. you notice an effect when you started the second season, now that eyes are on you? Well, I know that we, you know, even though we started in a bubble, we could tell that the media was really focused on us. Like we were getting a lot of attention because I think a lot of white journalists thought that the CBC was going to get blown up by Muslims for making a comedy about Islam and mosques and they were just waiting for something terrible to happen and so suddenly we started getting all this press you know the new york times al jazeera and cnn everyone knocking on our door and asking questions so by the time we aired we just had we had record ratings you know cbc hadn't had records ratings like that for like 20 years since Anne of green gables had aired previously yeah so it was incredible to make this show and, and suddenly get so many eyeballs and like it revived the cbc in terms of you know, giving it the confidence to go on and make other television shows. And so, and so, you know, I think it was Kirsten Stewart who wrote in her book, her memoir about how, what an impact Little Mosley Prairie had on CBC. I believe she wrote that it saved the corporation. Mm -hmm. And you can see from there, you know, you know, now we have Kim's Convenience and Shit's Creek and all these amazing shows that are coming out of the corporation. And then the whole country really there's a sense of, um, we can do this. We have the ability to make really funny television shows in our country. Yeah, there's definitely a look to the older sitcoms, even those produced in like the 90s, like the newsroom or made in Canada, where it had a sort of like a, like a home video sort of feel. It felt more uh, less produced than what shows are now almost. But do you remember the Beachcombers and King of Kensington? <laughs> I, those are definitely before my time. 
uh, I do remember hearing of the beachcombers, and that lasted a long time. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, definitely now there's been a an uptick in the comedy world coming into Canada, and Canada's always been a funny country, I thought. like We did well in the sketch world, right? And then yeah. CBC radio serials and, and comedy. But we hadn't had success in television and sitcoms. Yeah. Even Red Green would be considered sort of a sketch show. It was yeah, it was a great show. And it was a sketch show. But now I think, you know, those days are over. Like, we are known for our comedies. Oh, definitely. That's without a doubt. Did you feel like you had the responsibility to bring different Muslim characters to the screen? Because even, like, Manoj, who plays Barber, all of his credits almost before... Little Mosque, it was, I'm a doctor, I'm a cab driver. Were, was that a sense that you got from the actors coming in to portray characters? Like, I've never had the opportunity to portray someone of this nature. I mean, I thought it was really interesting because we had never seen a television show with a diverse leads before. It was always like, I think for a lot of television executives, they believed in order for viewers to watch television, people had to be white and the and the, and anyone who was diverse had to be sort of a sidekick and so this was the first time where you saw that the diversity they were leads like you know you had a diverse cast and that there were leads and that the white people were sidekick you know sidekicks and that was really and that we still were a ratings hit and i think that was really important for television executives to realize that you don't have to have white people as the leads in order for you to attract audiences audiences are diverse too and human stories are universal just because there were seven Muslim characters in the mosque didn't mean that um, they were unique characters you know, on the face of the planet. Like what, what would happen is white people would come up to me and say, oh my God, that's the same person I meet at my mosque or my, you know, at my synagogue or my soccer association or my knitting club. You know, these are people that behave in the same way that all people behave regardless of religion and color. And so human beings behave like human beings and all of us behave the same way no matter what color or religion we belong to and so it's a universal experience and so, so people will say well it humanized muslims but then the muslims will say well we were human to begin with we didn't need to be humanized like what were we animals before and but people viewed us like that because they only saw us on the news as terrorists and that's the only sliver of our experience that you're exposed to that's a harmful stereotype so it was good that it, it was a show that showed us as people like mothers and fathers paying bills, going to the bank, raising children, like you had never seen that before on television. I love that. What was the uh, the thought of how, like, did you always want Sheila to be part of like Carlo and Satara's family? Was it always gonna be there's a white woman who is now Muslim? Or was that I mean, the convert, convert experience is a really big experience in our community. You know, so a lot of people convert and join our community. So we wanted, I wanted to explore that relationship and how that, you know, how she fits in with the community, how the community accepts her, how she brings up, you know, brings her experiences also to the community. So that was important to me because it was based on reality. It, it's what exists in, in the Muslim community. Did you have any network input of what kind of characters you should have portrayed in the series? I think they wanted, I mean, you know, they loved the characters. Um, 
through development, we added a mayor of, the, of Mercy. We thought that would be a good addition. So, I mean, we all, you know, we worked with it together in development with the production company, with, um, with CBC. And, you know, we added people. And then, you know, they, whenever we would write scripts, they would always have notes mm-hmm. to give that we would respond to. And then it would be kind of back and forth until everyone was happy. And adding Neil Crone as almost a, like a Rush Limbaugh yeah. radio personality who's out there besmirching whatever the Muslims are doing. And meanwhile, when he's out and about around them, you can tell he's, he's a good guy. He doesn't really hate them. Yeah. But what was the idea of having it as a radio broadcast? Was it because just- I mean, I know that everyone who watched that I've watched the mosque and say, oh my God, he's based on my local <laughs> local radio guy, right? Because everybody has a guy like that in their community. So the right wing, slightly racist, maybe more than slightly racist commentator. I mean, you know, we now we have Fox News in the United States, which is, you know, very blatant. Yeah, he's very much Alex Jones now. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I mean these people are kind of universal and they're everywhere. And so I could not have not included him. Because he's just like a part of our world. And I love Boyd being like the only one who pays attention to him. <laughs> great addition. Thank you. Oh, you're, you're welcome. It's a great show. I don't know why CBC Gem has them. It's not I a on Gem. I mean, it might be like a, a distribution thing. I, I should ask them. Yeah. Uh, in terms of distribution, what happened with the states where they didn't pick it up until much later? Like other... It ended up being on Hulu, I think. Hulu. And now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was on for five years. It's not on anymore. Um, I don't know. I mean, it was on Hulu. So I imagine that once it's on an American streamer for five years, um, they consider it, I guess, a done deal. I'm not sure. I'm not involved in that part of the business. Right. Were you involved when they optioned it? Because there was a time when it was optioned to become its own series in the States. Yeah, unfortunately, because back in those days, nobody had ever had a format deal for a Canadian show. My lawyer hadn't put in anything about me being involved in the formatting deal. So Mm -hmm. I am not, I wasn't able to be part of any of those negotiations. So that was sort of the sad part about the success of the show was that because um, the lawyer hadn't foreseen that happening, it wasn't part of my contract so I, I wasn't able to be part of those negotiations right it's amazing the stuff you learn after the fact <laughs> i wanted to talk about how a lot of the stories sort of reflected especially in the first season reflected what you were speaking of in your documentary like the barrier and and like the no-fly list was, was that all part of pre-production where you were like, look, these are the type of issues that I am dealing with. Can we fit this into the show? And where did it lead off to with like your all white or all non-Muslim writers eventually? Were they able to pitch things that resonated with you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in the first couple of seasons, it was hard for them because they just didn't know the community. But then gradually, like you end up running out of Muslim-like stories because there's only so many differences Muslims and non-Muslims have until we're all the same. Mm -hmm. And I remember the producers were like, oh, give us more Muslim stuff, more Muslim stuff. And I'd be like, you know, I think I've run out of 
like really Muslim-esque stories because, you know, once you get past sort of the superficial stuff, we're all kind of the same and the stories are about just being people. And that's what ended up happening. And I think that was, then it made it much easier for sort of the non-Muslim writers because it was just about relationships and, you know, getting along and not getting along and arguments and misunderstandings and miscommunication. And, um, and, th and then, you know, they got into the groove and then it was a lot easier. So I didn't have to be there all the time watching everything constantly. So that helped a lot. But I mean, it was interesting for me even to realize that you actually run out of like very superficial Muslim stories pretty quick. And then it just becomes a show about relationships and how people get along. Yeah, exactly what a sitcom is in its uh, description, you know, situational comics. So can you talk just a bit more about what it is you're doing now with your, uh, your pitch? Sure, we made a trailer um, for a new show that I'm trying to create called Zarka. And it's about a bitter, vindictive, impulsive Muslim woman who gets really upset when her ex-husband gets engaged to a skinny white yoga instructor. And so she tells the world on Facebook that she's coming with her very own you know, white brain surgeon named Brian, who is completely made up of a whole cloth. But then she goes on a dating app and she gets a match with a white Brian. And so it's a comedy about how two people are using white people as their trophies um, and as status symbols to show off. And it's just, so this is my take on Hollywood romantic comedies, which always had you know, people of color, mostly brown men, choose white women as their partners because white women were considered sort of the superior you know, role, you know, person that you wanted to be attached to. Um, you know, things have changed a lot since you know, movies like The Big Sick, uh, where it had, you know, K Kumail Nanjiani telling his story about how he became engaged to his, uh, his white wife. But I acknowledge that, that was a true story, but even the brown women in that film were kind of seen as reductive stereotypes, you know, undesirable, goofy, had accents off the boat. And so I wanted to make fun of those sort of stereotypes of brown people who pick white people as their trophies. So I have two brown people who pick white people and they're competing mm -hmm. trying to off each other, yoga instructor versus brain surgeon. So I'm playing with that notion and it's a romantic comedy um, as well because then she gets embroiled in all these different um, relationships once the television series gets going. Okay, so it is suspect you are pitching it as a series and not just a, a movie. Yeah. Very good. And that would, is this done through CBC? In any way, or are you? No, it's not done through CBC. This is independent. So you would get funding for it, and then you'd be able to pitch it to different stations. Yeah. What What do you think the effect of Little Mosque being on for six seasons has done for like the Muslim community, especially in the acting and the film world? I think that it helped Muslims realize that you can go into acting and writing and directing and producing, and we have to go into that world because we can't depend on other people to tell our stories because they'll tell our stories from their lens and their perspective, which is problematic, right? Because it becomes like an echo chamber. Like if you only see Muslims um, on television as stereotypes then you're only gonna make shows about Muslims as stereotypes. So it takes a community to write about its own community in a way that expresses our you know, humanity in its fullest form, which is what Little Mosque was. And since then I've seen so many Muslims go into the media in so many different avenues in writing and directing and producing and that is my hope is that we tell our own stories from our own perspective because we are like we're not 
you know, we're not like this tiny sliver that you, of stories that you just see on television. We're like this whole monolith and we've got to tell all those stories, not just like the tiny percentage that you end up seeing on television. Great. Thank you for your time today. This is awesome. Thank you. You're very welcome. This is amazing. You, you had so much to say and I'm very thankful for it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. So is there anywhere that my listeners can find you? Yes, the trailer is on my Twitter page, my Instagram page, my Facebook page, my website, zarkanoaz.com. Uh, it would be great if you guys could share and like and spread that trailer around so that we can get more traction so we can prove to the Canadian funding agencies that we have discoverability. <laughs> you heard her, people. Let's do it. <laughs> Well, thank you again to Zarka. All of her links will be listed in the show's notes, so please check out her trailer for Zarka. And again, YouTube's got all of the shows available every season. It's all done up in playlists. I'm not sure who it was that uploaded them, but they're there for everyone to watch for free. Don't miss out on this opportunity. I hope you all enjoyed this new approach to doing a podcast about a certain series, but by just breaking down the first episode and giving you a glimpse at what it is you're going to get to see. Um, so thank you everybody for listening. Make sure to rate, review, subscribe to A Plus Podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all of those many, many podcast-sharing devices and apps. Uh, check us out on Facebook and on Instagram as A Plus Pod. Be sure to look at everything I list for Zarka Nawaz in the show notes. And stay tuned for October 1st when I return with another exciting A Plus Podcast.